the pitch. Swing and a base hit to left center field. And Camellia's going to score. This game is over. On an RBI hit by Mickey Poole. Thanks for taking the time to download and listen to the Philadelphia Baseball Review Podcast. I'm Patrick Gordon, founder and executive editor of the Philadelphia Baseball Review. Our mission is to cover baseball at all levels throughout the Philly region, with a particular focus on promoting the amateur, high school, and college ranks. Our aim is to tell the untold baseball stories across the Quaker City. So please be sure to follow me on Twitter if you're not already at PGordonPBR. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you may be listening. Also, leave us a review. And be sure to visit PhiladelphiaBaseballReview.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. Now, let's get into today's show. All right, so I'm joined here with Brett Kazatsky, uh, the founder and promoter of the Fishtown Card Show. Brett, it's great to have you here. Sort of a big uh, weekend for you coming up, huh? Yeah, sure is. And thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate the platform to talk about our card show and, and talk about the hobby. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So... You know, as a Philly guy myself from Junietta Park, I see Fishtown. I think this this is the flavor of Philadelphia. Walk me and the listeners through sort of how this all came about, because you've done this a few times now. How it all came about, your involvement, why you wanted to do it. Give us sort of a, a breakdown of how all this came to be. Absolutely. So we have our fourth show here coming up um, on Sunday, August 28th. We started... Sort of this idea started during the pandemic. I, like a lot of newer collectors in the hobby, sort of got back into collecting during COVID. Um, my my collecting itch started when I was a kid uh, with my dad going to different shows, even going to the National a few times, and then got out of it. But during COVID, sort of got that collector's itch again. A lot of us had a little bit too much time on our hands. Uh, so I started buying cards again. Um, and long story short, I had I have a background with um, with running different events, and that sort of collided with my my passion of getting back into card collecting. And um, before I had it, I was I was pitching a card show to some venues around the Philadelphia area, uh, and now we are you know about thirteen or fourteen months later, doing our fourth show uh, and really trying to build um, a huge community of collectors here in the Philadelphia area. No, and I think it's awesome, Brett. And I think, you know, coming off of the National, were you at the National out in Atlantic City? Yes, I was. So a <laughs> little bit of an aside, that was my first National. And um, I took my eight-year-old son, and it was paradise if you're a card collector. Um, I ended up making the mistake of taking him and telling him, yes, we'll get some Pokemon cards. <laughs> and so little did I know, before I could even really start looking, um, you know, it turned into, so dad, where are the Pokemon cards? So we ended up, you know, finding a bunch of that, but I had to take care of the Pokemon situation before I could actually shop for myself. So it was, uh, it was unreal. The amount of stuff there, the, uh, just the changes in the hobby, you know, you think back to, you know, you and I are sort of the same age. I'm, I'm, you know, 39 and, and I remember it used to be relatively cheap to go somewhere, grab a pack. Uh, you know, we didn't have every card being a super fractor and this, that, the other. The money just wasn't in the hobby like it is now. And you go to a show like that, the National, 
it just blows you away. And uh, not just the vintage, you know, the Babe Ruth card, the uh, Honus Wagner and, and the Mickey Mantle that's sold and all that there. But I'm talking about the modern, you know, the, the Panini prisms and the refractors and so forth. It's just wild the time that we're in right now in the industry, huh? No question. Uh, it's definitely easy for someone to get lost with, especially the modern cards, like you said. Um, I mean, there's just parallels of parallels and colors of colored and different numbered variation of sets. And, you know, the prices of some of the stuff, even all the way down to the prospects are, are hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> Absolutely. This was my, yeah. This was my first national in, in probably about 15 years. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a world of difference. That's for sure. It's funny. One of the things I've started to do after, uh, you know, coming home from the Nationals, going on YouTube and watching, you know, some of the channels and the collectors and, and the breakers that were there and sort of getting their uh, their take on what they liked, what they didn't like. And um, it's incredible to see this sort of combination now of it just not being for collectors but it also being for content creators if you will and and all these people with youtube channels and i know you know there's jabs family and there's all these other people out there doing it um but that's a big piece to it too, uh you know as well all these people with cameras and out doing this and that and then you had gary v in one of the aisles it was it was pretty wild yeah for sure i think the content creation part of the hobby is really fantastic i think and I know we'll, we'll definitely get into kind of the state of the card market, but um, just the the way that they've raised the floor, in my opinion, of yeah. the industry, that even, you know, as the prices sort of ebb and flow, there's just so much content out there. There's so much, so many eyeballs, so much attention toward the hobby right. um, that, you know, even in times like this where people say the hobby is down from a price standpoint, you know, certainly not from, from a, a demand or an attention standpoint, that's for sure. Absolutely. Now, with the card show at um, the, the Fishtown card show, that's going to be at Rivers, right? Rivers Casino? That's correct. How many tables are you expecting? How many vendors? That sort of thing. Uh, so we are about 125 tables for this show. This will be our biggest one yet. Uh, that's about 80 to 85 vendors, some with one table, some with some pretty massive booths. Um, and it's about a 10,000 square foot venue. So everything's pretty spaced out, uh, a lot of tables, but, but certainly not overly crowded. And with the show being on Sunday, what is your Friday and Saturday? Like as sort of the, the promoter of this, what, what sort of headaches are you dealing with on Friday and Saturday? Usually that's a great question. So I would say my, my two days before has gotten more and more calm every show. My, sure. my two days before the first show were absolutely nuts. Um, and then certainly the first time we, we actually did the first show at a different venue. So our second show was the first time being at Rivers. That weekend was nuts. Um, most people don't know this. I'm, I'm a one-man band when it comes to this show. I'm the one answering, you know, posting on Instagram and answering emails and getting the vendors signing up and uh, so that includes, you know, the tablecloths have to go on the table. So that's my Saturday before a Sunday show uh, is putting about 125 tablecloths wow. on the table. Yep. Um, so that goes along with, you know, pricing out my own cards and double checking everything with the vendors and the table deliveries and the venue and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's hectic, to say the least. Yeah, it just doesn't. It, it's not just plop some tables down and art right, open the doors up. It, it isn't that simple. No, it's um, it's become a, a full-time job doing a few of these a year, and I mean that in the best way possible. I, I enjoy every second of it, but 
uh, especially when it gets close to card t- for, to card show time. Um, right. Yeah, I'm I'm in a million places at once for sure. And then your full time job, if you want to, wouldn't mind, you know, sharing, you do what? What is it you do? Yeah, I'm, I'm a real estate agent full time. Uh, so that's <laughs> what I do when I'm not doing card show stuff. Um, so yeah, during the day, sometimes even the evenings, I'm, I'm out showing houses and uh, working with buyers and kind of every minute I have in between, I'm working on this card show. Now, for those that will be coming out on Sunday, if you could do a split of modern versus vintage, you know, what would that split look like? Is it, does it trend to go more more modern since it's you know, maybe a little bit of a smaller show or, or how do you see that? We definitely trend more modern. I think that's mostly just the nature of the types of vendors that we have. We have a lot of younger vendors uh, and a lot of younger collectors that come to our show. So things do tend to skew a little more modern. Um, adding more vintage vendors is something that is at the absolute forefront uh, of our goals moving forward. So we'll have more vintage than we've ever had before at this show. And we hope for that to continue to grow um, as we continue to grow. And then what about, uh, you know, I'm thinking children that may be, you know, like my son trying to do more of the Pokemon stuff. Some of that will be there too, I assume. Most definitely. We've got a little bit of everything from modern vintage baseball, basketball, football, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, alternative sport, sealed boxes. Uh, we have a couple sports artists that have their their items there for sale, uh, memorabilia, autographs, supplies, you name it. Uh, we definitely have some of it. No, that's great. Something for everybody. And I know I sound like the old dude in the house, but I, I just my son with these Pokemon cards, it drives me batty because <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking at. It's not like Oh yeah, this uh, this player's uh, is a middle infielder. It's not really, you know, there's not a ton of value in it. These I have no idea. And then I'll pull a few and I'll, I'll look on eBay, and I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of one he just got. Some ruby red Charizard. I mean, this is a cool looking card. It's like an eighty dollar card. <laughs> and trying to explain the value to an eight year old, I I'm cool because it helps him get into collecting. And my thought process is. You know, this could be the gateway into him getting more into baseball cards and football and basketball and whatnot. Um, so I'm cool with that. But for those of us that don't know anything other than Pikachu, the big yellow thing with the smiley face, <laughs> and there, it, I go into a card store and, you know, I, I hate – I've never went to a baseball card store and felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Like that never was me. I always knew. And to go in there, like with my tail between my legs – uh, it just feels so weird. Like, hey, do you have any of this this character peas on or something? And it's just it's wild. It really is. Well, you're broadening your horizon. That's fantastic. And yeah. As far as as far as you know, him hopefully broadening his horizon in the future. I'm I'm definitely living proof of that. I'm 31. So when Pokemon came out in 1999, I was like eight or nine years old. I was sure. pretty obsessed. Um, and it absolutely ushered. Um, just sort of my itch for collecting and cards and trading and that that transitioned directly into sports cards for me as i became like a young teenager so hopefully he'll have the same path i hope so because otherwise i don't i don't know where um yeah i, I other than pikachu i don't know it's very different <laughs> because i remember you know my father it would be the 1987 tops with the wood border and you know the cool card would be the canseco the mcguire the bo jackson future star card that was it, and that was like the big thing, and you get the piece of gum, whatever, and for the longest time, you think those cards are all worth a ton of money, 
They're not worth anything, almost anything from the 80s and 90s, unless it's some subset or variations, really not worth a ton of money. Um, you know, so it's it's funny to think back of what what my gateway was. How about you? What, what You mentioned your father and collecting. What sort of packs do you remember sort of that's what got me into this? Sure. Anytime I see, I want to say it's like 2003 Topps Chrome NBA, a set with like white border around the outside. I can like picture that Carmelo Anthony and Allen Iverson cards. Right. I can definitely picture opening a ton of early 2000s NBA. I can remember when we first started finding game used jersey patches and packs and, and them showing up at shows. And to me, that was the biggest deal I had ever seen. Um, I still sort of have, um, you know, this aversion to, to, you know, just awesome patch cards. But I think, um, yeah, that was sort of my, my original heyday was right when they started inserting the autos <laughs> and the patch cards into packs. So that's, that's sort of what we were always hunting. And we loved buying boxes of literally anything just to, just to open them and have fun. It's, it's bringing me back to when I first, I, I would have been in high school, um, when I first started to, you know, get an allowance, get money, whatever. And I want to say it was 97 or 98 upper deck collector's choice baseball that my cousin and I actually would, um, we'd pull our money and just buy boxes of it. And, and those cards to this day, there's next to no value with them, but they hold like that sentimental spot. You know, I think I have multiple sealed sets of it. I know for a fact that I have multiple sealed boxes of those cards and it's funny, my wife said, what are you doing? Why do you need another box of 1998 Upper Deck Collector's Choice? And it's sort of like, well, you know, it's special. It means something to me. That's why I have this. Um, you know, another set that I remember that was really ugly, but it stuck with me, was the 1995 Fleer. Um, for whatever reason that year, Fleer went and I think made six different designs for six different divisions. And so some of the cards do look ridiculous. Um, but I remember, you know, the Cleveland Indians and, and the Seattle Mariners at that point were two of my favorite teams. You know, Jim Tomey and Alex Rodriguez, Edgar Martinez. And um, those cards, same deal. There's not a whole lot of value with them, but they they hold they hold dear with me. And then the one that has some value that I recall, um, I want to say it was 97 or 98 Metal Universe Oh, yeah. baseball um i those metal universe cards i absolutely love um but the 98 ones i believe where where they had like cityscapes and and things like that in the background and i remember like a tony clark card he was with the tigers i think at that point and they legit had a tiger chasing him ryan sandberg had a rhinoceros chasing him like those cards were awesome and then you had the the precious gems out of there and stuff and those were you know at that age I was what 15 16 I I wasn't affording any of those but I remember getting a box of them and being sort of this is the pinnacle of collecting <laughs> those yeah, that's universe awesome. cards. I'm yeah. I'm bringing photos of these sets up as you go. The the 1998 uh 1998 collector's choice I'm like picturing in my binders. <laughs> I used to put them in alphabetical yep. order and by position and yeah, I mean this this set is like absolutely bringing back some memories. It is I'll I'll spend way too much time um on eBay in bed or, or late, late at night and uh, just go, yeah, let me see what's, uh, what's available. 1998 collector's choice on, <laughs> on there. And, um, you know, another set that I think 
really sticks with me. I want to say it's 90, 95, 94 upper deck. Um, it was the year Jordan came out and played with the Whites or played with the Barons and then played with the White Sox. Sure. Um, I think there's two cards of him in that set, and that just that sticks with me as well. Um, and then I remember some of those really bad looking hoops cards back in the early nineties for basketball. Oh, we um, had so many of those just sitting in my dad's storage unit thinking one day they were going to be worth something. <laughs> yeah. All these Muggsy Bogues cards, right? <laughs> I had a ton of Muggsy Bogues cards. That's right. And Larry Johnson. Yeah. I remember uh, Jamal Mashburn and J.R. Ryder. Yeah, they were my two. I remember going, going all in on, on those two guys. And uh, yeah, neither of them really, really panned out. It's funny. You start thinking, you know, one of the biggest changes in collecting now has been this idea of prospecting and trying to get these stars before they're known commodities. Um, you know, and I think, you know, unfortunately from a baseball standpoint, uh, Fernando Tatis and, uh, you know, what has happened with him. And, uh, you know, I think the news broke after the national but I know at the National, I'm pretty sure I saw some of his rookie cards, PSA 10s, priced ridiculously high. Um, and I think just 48 hours later or three, four, five days later, when news broke of him getting hit with this uh, suspension for, um, you know, performance enhancing, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, it's a shame. It, it, a lot of people lose a ton of money on this. No question. That's, you know, it's definitely the the horrors of prospecting or for Tatis's case, just sort of the horrors of, of high end modern cards. Um, yeah. even in the sport of baseball, you know, it only takes one freak incident. Um, and now you're just kind of sitting on stuff for a long time, waiting for stuff to bounce back. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like the stock market in a sense, uh, especially, like I said, with the high end graded stuff. And, um, I guess that's part of the thrill is, is <laughs> knowing that this is always a possibility. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I know um, as a avid Alex Rodriguez collector, and I know again I'm a Philadelphia guy, but I was a big Mariners fan that '94 '95 team, especially when um, you know they they played the Yankees in the postseason and um, Ken Griffey Jr. sliding across the plate with the game winning run. Um, I believe it was '95. You know that stuck with me, and uh, you know so turned into be a huge Alex Rodriguez person, and I a ton of his memorabilia game used. Uh, cleats bats cards rookies everything and i was man for about a month when the first ped um issue came about i was just absolutely bummed you know and and it's not that i ever wanted to sell any of the stuff i never got into this because hey there's going to be a ton of money on the other side i got into it because i i'm a baseball person i love it i always dreamt of having a house or you know a man cave with this stuff sort of littered around it and um I was just so, so bummed. And then for it to happen to him, uh, you know, again, was just, um, you know, the death nail. I still yeah. have all the stuff. I'm <laughs> not moving <laughs> it. Um, but it's just, it's, you're right. It's a gamble. Yeah, A-Rod was on the short list of guys that my dad was definitely investing in at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. We were huge, huge fans of his. And I definitely remember being absolutely crushed um, when that story kind of unfolded. And it's pretty crazy how he's the only one from that era who has somehow turned around his image, and now he's on base Sunday Night Baseball, and yep. he's everywhere on TV again. It's pretty crazy, um, but he's just that charismatic. I think people can't stay away from him. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, it's tough for Tatis, too. I mean, he's, what, 23? I, I was reading an article writing him off for the Hall of Fame. And, you know, look, I don't know if he's ever going to even, um, you know, put numbers up at this point that would be Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, he certainly has, you know, the pedigree or the trajectory to do that, you'd think. But that's that's never a guarantee. Um, but now... Uh, because just this, uh, you know, PED incident to to say that it's not going to happen. I don't know, man. I I don't have that crystal ball to to be able to say that because I do think eventually, I think Bonds is getting in. I think Columbus is getting in. I think A-Rod's going to get in. Ortiz is already, I love how Ortiz, a little bit different here because it wasn't uh, a proven test or whatever, I don't think with with David Ortiz, but, uh, you know, how he got in and it's sort of, you know, just, no one, no one thinks anything about it. Yeah, he's another guy that's just too charismatic for people to turn away. I think. Yeah, um, he sort of transcends even the whole steroid era, and A Rod, in a sense, sort of does too. And and Bond certainly, from a talent standpoint, does. But he's sort of been the poster child of it. Um, See, so yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah that that was that was certainly the heyday for me as a baseball fan was was a rod and bonds and and really that whole era um, yeah. so it'll be really interesting to see what happens what do you see now with regard to the state of the industry right we're we're talking about you know these prospects or uh the graded cards of some guys coming up and you know the cards go for ridiculous money and and you're you're taking a gamble right for some of them whereas you could say take the thousand or two thousand you would put on some of these cards of these players that may potentially make it, and in turn buy some Roberto Clemente, some Mike Schmidt, some Hank Aaron, some Mickey Mantle. Where do you stand on that? Do you think it's smart if you're getting into this to look more at the prospecting with the idea of a lottery card or a lottery ticket, or do you think you know, hey, vintage may be the way to go if you want value that's going to you know continue to rise? Um, I mean, from a value standpoint, it's hard to argue against vintage is definitely a safer play. And, um, you know, it's hard to imagine it not appreciating over time. Um, you know, vintage is vintage and then, you know, we'll never be able to go back and create more of that type of stuff. Obviously, I think people just like collecting the, the, the players that they grow up with. And for some people that's right now and they like collecting the guys that they draft on their fantasy team and they see on ESPN and they play for their favorite teams and they can go watch in person. And I think there's plenty of collectors from different generations who grew up with different sets of players. And for them, that's the fun is, is collecting those guys and the nostalgia of it. And in 20, 30 years from now, a Fernando Tatis card, you know, I don't think we'll call it vintage, but we certainly won't be calling it modern anymore. Um, and at that point, there'll be a whole new crop of guys and and I'll be, you know, complaining that no one, you know, no one wants that old Fernando Tatis guy anymore. <laughs> and I think it's all just cyclical. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of young people um, after this covid boom that are in the hobby. And I think that, you know, the appreciation for vintage will grow as their collection sort of matures over time. But for now, I think people are just really excited with, you know, players that they grew up with or are currently growing up with. Yeah. And, and you made me think of something here saying the pandemic. Um, and it's, it was a black eye for sports car collecting or any kind of car collecting. I think, you know, where 
what was it, Target and Walmart, some of these retailers that traditionally have sold boxes, blaster boxes and packs, um, ended up getting to the point where they stopped selling them and or put them under lock and key because adults, mainly men, were hounding it so that they could get dibs on picking up all the boxes and then flipping them. Now, thankfully, that seems to have tampered down a little bit. That was huge during the start of COVID. Um, and I really think that that put a black eye on the, the industry as a whole. Um, you know, I know even now, you know, if I run into Target and I, I want to go see, you know, what's what's there in the card area, I don't know, as a 39-year-old, I'm sitting there thinking, does somebody think I'm one of those people who's trying to hoard these away and flip them all on eBay or whatever. Now, I'm not opposed to somebody making a little bit of money doing something like that, but I also think we need to, to look at, hey, if if I hoard all these, then you know what's in it for the kids, right? And without the kids, this industry really falls apart. You think? No question about it. Um, it, it was definitely a weird, unique time where the demand for cards – uh, specifically sealed packs and boxes for, for people that were doing breaks online were so high, but the the retail, both pricing and supply, hadn't caught up yet. Um, so if you had an in or you knew someone at Target or you simply had the time of day to, you know, to go figure out what time they deliver and sit there, uh, I mean, you know, there were videos on Twitter of people getting in fights and people, yeah. you know, having 50 boxes of cards in their cart. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's embarrassing and, you know, First and foremost, like you said, it's definitely about the kids. And, you know, without new people entering the hobby, there is no hobby. It's just all right. that's growing old and everything is, becomes worthless. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just from a sheer standpoint of, of being able to act like a mature adult, I mean, it was so embarrassing <laughs> to be in a Target knowing that I'm interested in sports cards, but the sports card shelf has a sign on it because we're, we can't handle ourselves apparently around, around some, <laughs> some plastic retail. Um, so, yeah, it, it was extremely embarrassing. Um, and, you know, the prices went up, the demand went down, um, the supply increased, and now, you know, the shelves are full again and, and stuff is, isn't priced as free money anymore. Um, but, you know, either way, we got to be better than that. Now, what do you think of eBay, um, you know, as far as, a, you know, for yourself as a collector or if you're selling? Um, I, I mean, I... I, I would be lying if I, I said I didn't get the majority of the cards I own, my collection, off of eBay. And that's primarily because what I collect isn't – I can't go to a local card store and find 96, um, you know, score subsets, like, uh, you know, insert sets. They don't really exist there. They're not selling them there. Um, but on the flip side, you know, eBay is now starting to get involved in authenticating cards. Um, I know I just got – um, one where it came in this big box, really weird looking thing. I don't know if you've encountered it yet. Um, but as somebody in the industry and it's involved with shows and things like that, what, what value do you see with eBay? Is it a good thing for the hobby? Bad? What's your take? Uh, in general, I mean, I think it's definitely a good thing. It's a place where even novice card collectors know they can go type in certain keywords and find cards that they're interested in. Um, for me personally, if I'm buying um, for my personal collection, something that I plan on holding on to, uh, eBay is a great place to go. Um, unlike, you know, a card store or even a card show, the 
choices are endless. You can price shop right on there. You can see people's feedback. Um, you can even, you know, hopefully get some good pictures of the cards. Um, yeah. However, if I'm buying something that I think I may sell in the near future, eBay is typically the last place I will go simply because I don't want to set that new price comp. Um, if I'm trying to sell a card at a show, the person that's buying from me is going to have their phone out. They're going to be looking at the last couple eBay sales. And especially if it's something modern that's numbered, they may even identify exactly the one I just purchased a month ago that I've now marked up. Um, right. So, you know, to this day, eBay seems to be, especially at card shows, sort of the price check app. Um, whereas if you buy a card pretty much any other way, uh, there's almost no record or receipt of it. Uh, right. So to me, that's sort of the con of using eBay. But in general, I mean, it's it's such a massive marketplace. Yeah, and it's funny. That was one of the biggest complaints talking with vendors at the National in Atlantic City was, you know, they couldn't get internet access uh, yeah. to see sort of, all right, somebody's offering me this on that. Is that a fair deal? Or you know, maybe not the vendors, but trades, right? Is this a fair, you know, dollar amount on this card? Um, and the internet was, you know, a mess there. So, yeah, I think um, I think eBay, too, is looking at graded cards and things like that. I really think they're going to try and, and, and get a bigger footprint. Um, and like I said, they're doing this eBay authenticity thing now, where I think if I was reading correctly – if any card that's sold over $250 that's raw, I think, it now goes to this eBay authenticator, and then they do their magic on it, look at it, and then they put it in a seal, they give you a barcode, and it comes in a blue box, and eBay sends it to you. So, I don't know. I I feel confident enough. I don't need eBay to do that to authenticate them. If I wanted authentication, I'd go PSA or SGC or Beckett, you know, one of the known places. Have you encountered yeah. this thing I'm talking about or no? I have not encountered it personally, but I've definitely seen many people, you know, talking about it or complaining about it online. I'm sort of with you. I don't really buy the type of cards that would be faked right. or that I'm really concerned about it. And certainly if I was, I would sort of take that into my own consideration and, and have the option to take it to a third party company, just like you said. So right. it's not really a service I'm crazy interested in. And, especially with this modern stuff. I mean, imagine buying a Fernando Tatis card that was supposed to come in four days, but instead it comes in two weeks because yeah. eBay had to take it and authenticate it. And by the time it comes <laughs> to you, he's out for the season. Right. So, you know, the, the modern market, you know, is very volatile, certainly with, with injuries and stuff. So anything that slows up your purchase, if you're looking to, to resell or even as a collector, right. um, I think can be, you know, something additional to consider for sure. Yeah, and the card that I, I'm referring to that I purchased was, um, it was a Mike Lieberthal precious precious metal gem from I want to say '98, the '98 metal universe the set we were referring to. And I believe they're numbered to fifty, and so I legit knew like, all right, well this person's it's not a fake, like just send me the card. Sure. Um, but yeah, it went through this third party of eBay, and uh, you know then the issue becomes. Yeah, look, I want I don't trust the mail as it is, right? Like I I don't want my stuff going across the country, hanging out somewhere and then coming back to me. Like I just don't have faith in it. Like I just I don't know, I don't like it. And and maybe there are people out there that love the idea that eBay is authenticating, but I don't know. What's your take on graded? Graded uh, stuff. 
Yeah, real quick, I think that's a great point about the mail. I mean, doubling the risk of, of the packages these oh, days yeah. is definitely not worth it. No. Um, I have come around on graded cards when I first got back into collecting. It really wasn't something that was on my radar. I don't I don't think I quite understood it. Um, right. But as, as a modern collector, I've definitely come around. I sort of enjoyed, uh, you know, I've sent in a couple different uh, groups of cards now, and I definitely enjoy the the anticipation of, of waiting sure. for the grades and trying to find raw cards. And, um, you know, from a resale standpoint, it often makes sense if, if you can get a nine or a 10, um, especially with PSA. Um, and for vintage collectors, I know uh, whether it's with PSA or SGC or otherwise, some people just like, you know, having the card encapsulated, knowing that at least it'll remain in the condition that it's in at the time. Right. Um, but it's certainly, you know, for people that have been collecting for a long time, it definitely sort of changes things and, and sort of can bring the value down of, of cards you may have collected over a long period of time where the condition didn't seem as important to you, um, where now it's so, you know, condition hypersensitive. So I think there's definitely pros and cons with it. Me personally, I do enjoy the, the graded card market, but, you know, I've heard from plenty of older collectors, um, who are not huge fans of, of how it's changed the market. And I definitely understand that aspect as well. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I kind of like you, when I first really started throwing decent money into this hobby, I didn't, I didn't care for it. I was like, well, why do I, I don't want it graded. Um, and then I got it. I forget what the first graded card I got was, but I remember looking at the slab going, all right, this looks cool. It's a lot sturdier than the top loader. It's, um, you know, the, the, it, it looks cool. Um, I, I came around. I wasn't opposed to it at that point. And now, um, you know, one of my one of the areas that I collect is um, every Phillies and Philadelphia Athletics tops card dating back to 1952 to now. Um, I'm working on that pro project, right? So I have 80 awesome. to now already done, not graded. Those are raw. Um, but the early sets, the 52 through 56, I want graded. And I want graded just because I think those older cards, just they look so nice in those PSA slabs. And, um, you know, the 56 cards just look beautiful. The 52, the 50, uh, 53 Philly set just looks so nice. Um, and I have, I don't know, probably 150 of those now between the Philadelphia A's and, and the Phillies, between those early 50s cards. Um, you know, maybe 180, somewhere around there. And then I got a bunch of Alex Rodriguez and Mike Trout. So I've come around on it. I think um, I only really look at nines and tens because to me, if it's graded and it's less than a nine, it's like, well, then why did you grade this? Sure. Um, the only time i feel different on that there's actually two cards that i'm aiming at now uh, both basketball and when i was in college i thought i was a big shot i had a jordan i want to say 88 fleer and an 89 fleer so not as rookie but a second and third and i saw the prices they're going for on ebay and as a college student at that point like 200 bucks was yeah that's that's a lot of money i want it um sure. and i sold them and I looked recently, I was like, man, they're, they're a lot of money now. Um, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> so those two cards, I remember 
because I, I think I got them out of packs because that was, you know, I was so young at that point. Um, so ironically, those two cards, I want to get graded, but I'm cool if it's like a PSA five, like it doesn't matter because sure. that's kind of what I had it anyway. Um, you know, but I'm also perfectly content with, um, you know, cards in the one touch and, um, you know, all that I'm big on collecting the tops sealed sets the end of each year. Um, you know, and, and, and going that route. Um, so the graded, I kind of go back and forth. It really depends on what part of the collection the card will be for me. Um, you know, so that's kind of my take on it. And then I do have a couple of the very, very old uh, 1909 T206 cards. Awesome. Um, and again, the Philadelphia Phillies and the A's. And those are in SGC. And I, my rule of thumb, I try and go with SGC for anything like before you know, 1952 really. And, um, I know some people deviate from that mindset. They have different opinions and, and whatnot. Um, but the SGC is to me just looks so much better with those old tobacco cards. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends Agreed. on what part of the those, collection the, I'm doing. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah. The, the smaller cards with the, the back slab background on SGC I yeah. think is really sleek. Yeah. And I don't have anything really Beckett graded, nothing against Beckett grading. I know nothing about really their service with grading, um, but I don't really have, I think I have one, um, Dice K Matsuzaka card from Japan. I think I may have graded from awesome. Beckett, but, um, speaking of Beckett, what a dumpster fire that place is. Um, I, I mean, that magazine used to be sort of the Bible to us collectors, right? Sure. Now you get it and it's, it's nothing like there's nothing in there. And I, I know it's kind of a dinosaur. No one's going there anyway for comps or anything. They're going on eBay or they're going elsewhere. But um, then you look at, uh, you know, the the website. And the website just, you go on those message boards, and I used to frequent them. There's nothing there anymore. Um, they used to have an organized tool where you could put, you know, upload your collection and keep tabs and do trades and stuff. And that's kind of, uh, you know, really... Um, doesn't work often if at all um i think they have new ownership too again beckett but um what's your take i mean in the industry do people still value that name well i definitely remember the magazines i mean like you <laughs> said you you wouldn't be caught walking around a card show without one in your back pocket no i would i would highlight cards and certain prices ahead of time yeah that i'd walk into shows with and the vendors would have their books or they'd ask for yours and you would just show them the comps um yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's been so many different companies and apps uh, now that have entered the market, whether they're a marketplace to buy, sell or trade or, or vault your cards or find comps and prices for. And I think, you know, you brought up eBay, who sort of has taken that competition one way, which is, all right, we need to keep evolving and getting bigger and getting better and continue to try to, you know, be the cornerstone of this marketplace. And Beckett sort of just kind of laid on it, you know, flopped over and, and said we're good and all these other different companies that do what Beckett magazine used to do and what those message boards used to do yeah. they just do them better and shinier now yeah it really is a shame i mean it's that's a big part of the childhood going i do like i think every year they put out sort of the massive massive book i think it's like 50 bucks on amazon you can get it where it lists every card dating back to 1883 or whatever and that's cool like that's I, I like that they do that 
but yeah, the the magazine just for the cost for what you get in it, um, and for the lack of the lack of updates on pricing. Sometimes, you know, product is out for three months before they get it, you know, priced. And sort of if you're somebody who is trying to flip or you're a breaker and you you want to know the value, you know, they're just um, it, it seems like a dinosaur over there. It, it's a shame, and and there's no real competition. It used to be. You know, magazine I used to write for, Sports Car Monthly um, or Sports Collectors Monthly, used to, you know, do some of that stuff. And then you had Tough Stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Um, you know, Tough Stuff magazine. And the cool thing then was you would read articles about other people's collections and why they're doing what they're doing and what's happening, you know, with this show and that show. Now you pick up the Beckett and there's, you know, nothing but ads. There's one or two. Like there's the hot list. There's you know maybe an article or two about a new release, and and then they go right into like 1990 tops to now, and it's sort of like okay, well that's that's kind of pointless. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I opened up a Beckett magazine. Exactly. I, I'm going to be on the lookout for them now because I'm going to check it out and uh, and try to compare it to what I remember it. But but that that right there, Brett says it though. I mean, here you are. You're involved in the industry at sort of uh you know a top-notch level you're you're a founder promoter of a card show in one of the biggest cities in america and you haven't opened up a beckett and lord knows how long i mean that's not a strike on you that's a strike on beckett so um i i don't know if anybody from beckett's listening but uh you know let's let's improve this product um <laughs> i'm trying to think of a time where you look back in your collecting history right has there ever been a trade that you made that you're like, in hindsight, man, it was a bad trade? Is there one that sticks uh, out? Probably. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, not one off the top of my head. I usually find pretty decent luck with trades. Um, I would say when I've made trades with vendors at the show that I run, I definitely we'll give them the benefit of the doubt so there's <laughs> been a couple or I've walked away, but you know, I know I at least made them happy. Sure. Uh, but yeah, Smart I guess business. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I guess no, nothing, nothing big that sticks out, which I guess is a good thing. How about you? No, I, I don't, I, I, truth be told, I haven't really ever dabbled with the trading aspect. Um, you know, very, very little. Um, I think partly because I was always concerned about getting ripped off here. Um, you know, so I never got into it. I know some people, they swear by it. That's how they, you know, they're set collectors or set builders. And that's how they go about, you know, getting the final six cards for their set. They'll go through mail trading and stuff. Um, I always kind of just hopped on eBay, like, hey, I need this card, this card, and that card. Um, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I haven't really dabbled too, too much there. Um it's funny hitting, you know, I just slammed Beckett a lot there. One thing I will say that I do like about Beckett is the marketplace um, and the availability of so many smaller, uh, some I'm sure mom and pop card stores to be seen, you know, by people like me um, in suburban Philadelphia. You know, there's a lot of stores that without the Beckett marketplace, they may not be, you know, kicking around too strong, you know. Have you used Definitely. that? Have you used that at all? The Beckett Marketplace? I have not. I have not been on there. Yeah, it's actually um, you. You and I talked before the show. I mentioned to you uh, Burbank Sports Cards, and that was, 
I kind of got connected to Burbank through the Beckett Marketplace because I was looking for some specific, like, 1988 score hot rookies cards or something like that. Again, putting Philly sets together. And I couldn't find these things anywhere. And I didn't want to go on eBay. And I'd love to hear your take on this because I didn't want to buy a card that literally is worth five cents but pay $4 shipping for it, (laughs) right? I mean, I didn't want to do that. So I went on back at the marketplace and was able to find Burbank. And there's a lot of others, obviously, too. Um, But Burbank, to me, had the selection of everything under the sun, everything that I needed and, you know, reasonable prices and shipping reasonable and all that. And Beckett facilitates all that. Little uh, the or the company or the uh, stores put you know their whole catalog, everything they own up there, um, which I can only imagine how much time that takes. And then you know lets people let you and I go in there and, and purchase. So as much as I slammed Beckett there, they do have the marketplace going in the right direction. Yes, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm I'm scrolling through it right now. I think I may be spending some time on here later, just kind of checking it out. So I appreciate the heads up. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But that shipping, that kills me, man. I don't I don't I want that card for fifty cents. I don't want to pay four fifty for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally get that. And um, you know, that's where your local card store really needs to, to fill in the gap. Um and certainly, you know, hopefully card shows have that as well, but only yeah. you know when they come up on the calendar. But yeah, I think that's that's a gap there that there should be somewhere for you to drive to be able to look for those types of cards or at least someone to talk to in person that can help you track right. that stuff down. Now, Brett, for you, what makes a good card shop? You walk in, what do you hope to see? What sort of, what makes it sort of stand out? What makes you say, all right, this is a place where I think I'm coming back. I mean, it's going to sound really obvious, but to me, it's really pricing. Mm-hmm. When I think of going to a card store, I'm sort of expecting to be paying more than a card is worth or more than a box is worth, yeah. or at least to see stuff stickered that way. And for me, that's how a card store stands out. A lot of them are focused on, you know, they want to have a TV and a place to watch sports and fancy display cases and all that is great. And, I, you know, I'm friends with lots of people that own lots of great, you know, card stores in the area and that's, and that's nothing against them. But as far as standing out, for me, right. it's really pricing. It's 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 having fair pricing, you know, both stuff for kids, um, but also stuff for the more serious collectors that want to come back. I think that's what keeps me at least, or would keep most people wanting to really come back is is where they can get prices on the stuff that they're looking for. Yeah, yeah. To me, you kind of go into the card shop, and again, I want to support as many local businesses as possible. You kind of go in there knowing if you know the industry. Hey, I'm going to pay more here than elsewhere, probably for a product. Um, not always the case, but most of the time, especially if you're trying to buy a single card or, or you know, see what's in their showcases and that sort of thing, display cases. I do like going there for supplies. I feel like that's, you know, yeah, you could order your pages or your, you know, monster boxes online, but you know, to me, that's something to go and and, and get at the local shop. Um, you know, packs here and there, but. Yeah, I think if you're going in with a lot of money and you're looking to buy some singles, especially, um, I think you're you're going to probably pay a little bit more in the store than you would, you know, elsewhere. Um, Most definitely, yeah. And I think it's it's prices and it's obviously just people. Um, you know, everyone has had everyone that's been 
collecting for a while has had good and bad experiences at card yeah. stores. Sometimes you you know you get the feeling like you're being ripped off right away between the prices and the vibe, and other right. times it's it's just such a you know a community and neighborhood feel, and and the people whether it's the shop owners or just the people that you're talking to behind the counter are just so nice and friendly and they, and they get it and they have the customer service part, you know, figured out, um, you know, that, that in its own can kind of keep you coming back. Yeah. I have a place up here on uh, County line road. I live up in Warrington, um, but it's over near my old house in Horsham called sports car playground. And, you know, I go in there and the owners, Hey Patrick, how you doing today? And I'm not in there every week or, or not even necessarily every month, but to just give you that fine touch of, Hey, I remember you. Um, you know, and, and comment on a Facebook post about a card that I got at that store or, or got out of a pack, um, you know, little things like that make it, yeah, okay, I'm going to pay $10 more here for an item, but I don't mind it because I feel like yep. there's sort of, you know, that touch there that you wouldn't get necessarily at some other place. Um, and I think that's a big piece of it. What stores Definitely. stand out in the area to you? Um, so the stores that stand out to me are definitely the, some of the guys I've gotten to know very very well over the, um, you know, through running the show. One definitely being Sports Connection, who's got, uh, locations in both Chalfont and Doylestown. That's an awesome Uh, place, by the way, in Chalfont. Yes. Yes. Um, great store, great guys. Um, they do everything from buying, selling, they do eBay consignments, they, they sub your grading stuff in. Uh, they have quite the following of people out there because, you know, they do an awesome job. Um, here in the city, Suplex Sports Cards um, is an awesome place for, for modern cards and, and sealed boxes. Um, Santiago, excuse me, Santiago Sports 2 in Collingswood is about 20 minutes from the city. Um, they're great. Uh, Wheelhouse Sports Cards in Wayne, Carter's Cards in Douglasville. These are all places... Um, that I've checked out and that I've worked with our card show and are kind of part of our, our greater Philadelphia area um, community here and all places I would highly recommend. No, I think that's great. How about people, Brett? Like what, you know, we, we talked earlier about content creation and, you know, how important the community is and, and what seems really cool is Philadelphia has sort of a vibrant community around this. It's how they're able to sustain things like, you know, the Fishtown card show and many, many others. I think next week, uh, down at the Wildwood Convention Center, there's you know the card show down there and such. What people or, or who um, you know should collectors be following that are you know local that, that maybe they get some news from or see some breaks from or, or do some some opens? Who 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 can you recommend? Uh, so podcast wise, um, some of the guys I started listening to right when I got back into collecting. Uh, the podcast is called Bro Cards. Um, Ryan and Connor, two brothers, uh, they're local here from Philadelphia. One has been collecting for a while. One kind of got back into it during COVID. So they sort of have, um, that aspect of, of one sort of being on his own sort of adventure collecting in a similar timeline to me, which has been nice. Um, also my friends, uh, Tony and Oz on the cousins collectibles podcast. Uh, I really enjoy them. Uh, they interview a lot of different people around the industry, um, and I just recently started listening to the Luca Tiger podcast. I forget the full name of it. Huh. Um, those guys are great. He literally puts an episode out every single day, which I've never seen on any sort of podcast in my life. <laughs> um, so that's been super impressive. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm everywhere on Instagram. I really enjoy the content that Probstein puts out. Um, mm-hmm. He looks at different different auction sites and prices and sort of 
you know, puts context to, to different news around the industry. Um, yeah, I'm definitely always looking for, for more channels. What sort of content have you been taking in? The one that stands out, I mentioned earlier, and he's, it's not local, but is, is Burbank sports cards. Um, the owner every day puts up some solid content on Instagram. Um, and he makes you want to visit that store. Like I have no need or no desire to go to Burbank, California, but I want to go to Burbank, <laughs> Burbank sports cards. <laughs> he makes it that, uh, enticing and, and the video he shows, you know, he opens the door on an at, you know, an average regular Tuesday morning, there's like 25 people coming in and, He's made his shop sort of a destination that people want to go to and will go out of their way to go to. And and they sell, they buy, um, you know, they trade, they do everything. And the content he puts out, sort of the behind the scenes of how the store is run, he has a YouTube series about it, I think is awesome. Um, for people like me, especially that when they were little dreamt of owning a card store at some point and running, you know, their own thing. It's really cool to see. So uh, he goes by the card father, um, you know. Uh, so again, Burbank Sports Cards puts out some great content. Um, it, the one cool thing he does, I think, every day on Instagram is he does real quick screenshots of new cards going in their display cases, and he has the prices right on them. And he's the prices are are very very, um, I think buyer friendly. I think they're they're solid prices. And he has something for everybody. He has the cheap stuff, the five, ten, fifteen dollar stuff, all the way up to, you know, he'll do an Instagram post with a couple, you know, twenty thousand dollar cards. Like it's just it's wild to see. So the fact that he has that sort of uh, you know wide range of things to sell um and hits the different customer sections is just really cool to me. So Burbank sports cards definitely something um you know worth taking a look at yeah you turned me on to them when we spoke last so i I followed him and have been checking out his content uh and yeah it's been it's been great yeah and they actually i think are doing it's funny i thought for sure he would be at the national but i think i think they're doing their own card show next week um out in california so have you ever been to the one down in uh wildwood at the convention center I have not. I've almost gone a few times over the years, but I've never actually been. Have you been there? I have. Yeah, it's cool. It's um, it's it's sports cards and collectibles. So you get, you know, some non sports cards things there as well. Um, you get some interesting people because it's free to get in, and sure. it's right off the boardwalk, right there in a convention center. You make the left. Um, it's decent. Um, some prices are are a bit high um but it's cool if if you're down down the shore um you know that week to to spend an hour or two walking in and 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 checking around you'll see some values on some blaster boxes and things like that i i know i got a it was the last year the year before i got a mookie bets rookie there at a reasonable price so um so you know definitely worth worth a check out especially since it's free um you know you, you you don't really lose anything there especially if you get a rainy day down the shore it's awesome to check out, spend some time there. Yeah, I think those guys do a rain dance the night before their, their <laughs> car shows every time for sure. They do pack the people in. All right, Brett, give us a rundown one more time. What's going on Sunday? Time, place, cost, website they can visit, tickets in advance. What's the deal? Give us one more time here. 
Absolutely. So we're the Fishtown Card Show. Our event is uh, on Sunday, August 28th. Uh, and then after this year, we've got a bunch lined up for the for the remainder of 2023. Our first one will be uh, on Pro Bowl Sunday, February in 2023. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. This one, again, is uh, this Sunday, August 28th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can buy tickets at the door or online now at www.fishtowncardshow.com. And you can check us out on Instagram at Fishtown Card Show for updates and giveaways and uh, cool cards that we post and live videos from our show. Um, so, yeah, we'd love we'd love for you guys to come check us out. Awesome, Brett. Well, look, I wish you nothing but the best at the show. Um, and I will definitely be checking in with you afterwards, see how things went. And moving forward, whatever I, the Philadelphia Baseball Review, can do to help you, please let me know. I will do. And thank you so much again for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I really, really appreciate the platform. And we definitely look forward to partnering with you guys moving forward and, and helping grow the, the Philadelphia card scene and definitely the Philadelphia baseball card scene. Likewise. Thank you so much, Brett. Enjoy your evening. Thank you as well.